It's another edition of your Morning After podcast. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, Lloyd Cole, thanks for making us part of your Sunday morning uh, as we record this podcast. Uh, it was a late night as uh, Utah State got worked by BYU, but I think we should start with the University of Utah before we get into that game. As uh, I'm telling you, Hans, right out of the gate, I thought, uh, thought Utah was going to be in a little bit of trouble. And boy, not only did they respond, they came back, won that game, and thanks to Oregon, are in complete control of that South Division. So impressive, some of the things that Andy Ludwig did and that this Utah offense did. You know, you come out of that first half, and I actually tweeted right at the end of the first half, I tweeted, Washington will score 14 more points. Utah just has to figure out how to score 17. I tweeted that at the end of the half because I had a kind of an understanding of what they were doing defensively, felt like Washington would probably find the end zone a couple more times. And you watched Andy Ludwig engage in play calling that benefited an offensive line that was struggling in setting pockets. And it was impressive, to say the least, what he did to help his offensive line. It's funny because I watch every game as if I'm an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, and I can see things during games that in my mind I'm thinking, oh man, you can really help this situation by doing this or by doing this. And I, I was thinking these things after the second offensive series. Third offensive series, sure enough, everything I thought, Andy Ludwig starts calling and they start marching. And I'm looking at that offensive line start to grow in confidence that actually presented itself in some one-on-one wins in the fourth quarter because they had built the confidence, wore out defense a little bit. So it was just, I'm so impressed with Andy and so impressed with Tyler Huntley and his ability to execute even with that injury. You know what was, I think you saw, like in that first half, you saw, I mean, Utah fans were losing their mind a little bit because it was it was a little bit stagnant. But what I, but what I saw was a, a, a coach in Chris Peterson who is, well, was fourteen and zero, uh, or as Witt put it, nine hundred and zero, um, in his in his post game press conference. But he was, it showed how good you know how good he is, and I mean, it looked like a coach that had a bye week. Yeah. Whereas you know Utah, they were they were filling things out. I mean, I mean, I, I like to think that, um, and I have told you guys about my dad how he's a big he's that that kind of that that typical Utah homer. Yeah. He, he calls me at like halftime, and he's all, he's like, "Oh man, Andy Ludwig's terrible." And I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "Take it easy, just back away for a sec." You started seeing things in the in the second quarter, and where you were, they're starting to have some success. They started making some adjustments. They were able to get it within within one. I mean, you have people like losing their mind. They they only got a field goal at at a before halftime. I'm like, "Be happy." Last year, didn't 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 Tyler Huntley throw a, a, an interception before half? Right before the half, isn't that what he did? The, was it last year? Was that the year before? Be happy that there wasn't a mistake that had happened there, and you know, and they got some points and they got within one. Um, I mean, Utah, you saw you saw what they were, the adjustments that, and that you that you made. I mean, 
Andy Ludwig deserves all the credit in the world for, for the adjustments that he did. And, and, and it really, it's, it's really starting to pay off. Yeah, it really is too. And I think that, you know, Eason, uh, slung the, you know, the ball all around the place. He had 316 yards, four touchdowns, but boy, those two interceptions were costly interceptions. And I thought it was really interesting to see, uh, the pick six really kind of flipped the game around, but that offense, they just keep doing what they're doing. They make slight adjustments as the game goes on. Tyler Huntley was great once again. And I mean, he, look, he's 19 to 24. Uh, his completion percentage continues to just skyrocket and he does all the little things and he doesn't make the big mistake. I mean, I think you bring up a really good point, Lloyd. There was not that big mistake made by, made by that Utah offense to really put the Utah defense in a bad position. And when that defense can just tee off hands and just uh, continue to make big plays like they did uh, on the pick six, uh, you're in great shape. And once again, you just saw how great this defense could be when the offense continues to play at such a high level. That's the fourth pick six of the season, guys. Yep. Um, that, de- that, de- that, defense, that defense is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're all right. Yeah, their 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 tackling is pretty incredible too. They don't miss a lot of tackles. No, they don't. Nope. They've really come a long way from that USC game. I think it woke them all up. I think it challenged them all. And Blackman had another great game. Of course, Jalen Johnson, who was nicked up for a minute, but back out on the field. Everybody's responding to their injuries, playing through pain, playing through injury. You know, Zach Moss is is still banged up. You saw him take a shot in the first quarter, took a knee to the helmet, and he left, actually had to go through some different things to get back out on the field. And he's just fighting through pain and injury, and all of them are doing it, and they still have the depth. Like, if Moss goes down, still feel decently comfortable. Huntley's the one that would really worry me the most if if you lost Huntley for any extended period of time because at the level that he's playing at. But, well, it's just... It's all coming together extremely well. Just and then the other thing, guys, you go back and watch the final two de- uh, final two defensive possessions or the final two defensive stands by Utah. Go watch Bradley and I. He ignites. Oh yeah, uh, that guy. That guy came alive. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that Chris Peterson made. He made a couple. Number one, going for it on fourth down just before the half. That was not. That just it it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Utah was able to get a score after that, and then the second thing was calling the timeout when they were down by the end zone. Yes, giving Bradley and I an ability to take a couple of breaths. He'd already set that tackle up like three or four times. He'd gotten pressure in that drive in that series, but just hadn't quite gotten Eason. They call the timeout. He gets the break, comes out, gets a huge sack that burns clock, burns timeout. And really, I, in my opinion, ended up finishing up that game. I understand Chris Peterson's line of thought. I saw a lot of people that are like, what, are you, what is he thinking? Well, I understand what Chris Peterson was thinking to a certain extent because, Scotty, you know, when you get down there, your thought is, well, if we don't get this touchdown, then it doesn't matter what we do in, in our next possession. You know, if, if we don't get this touchdown. So he tried to slow it down, ensure that they get the touchdown, call the timeouts, get the right play calls in. But what what he did in the credit was that Bradley and I had set up that tackle. He was chopping at the bit. 
and that was a big sack and a huge series by Bradley to put that pressure on. You know, uh, oh, they were. I love. Go ahead, Scotty. By the way, I love that point because. Uh, you know, I'm up in the booth. We're getting ready for the Utah State BYU game, and I'm watching it with Kevin White, and who's played the quarterback position. And and both of us are just, I mean, I get your point about Chris Peterson needing to get that touchdown, but as soon as you start calling timeouts, you essentially concede the fact that if you score, you're going to have to go with the onside kick because you don't have any timeouts left. And uh, and once they call the first timeout, then you have to call the timeout after the sack just to try to regroup and, and try to figure out what you're going to do. Washington eventually scores a touchdown there, but you know, at that point there's, there's no wiggle room for trying to kick it deep, use your timeouts, get the ball back and then hope to score a touchdown. You concede that, well, we're going to have to kick the outside. And, and nowadays in college football, getting onside kicks is next to impossible. And so I just, I was really surprised by some of the clock management by Washington. But the point is Utah, Utah, Utah was okay giving up a touchdown on that drive just as long as they used up all the time and used up all your timeouts, and that's exactly what Washington had to do. Well, the, the way that thing was going, it felt like it had that feeling. Like it was there. I thought they were going to score it a little bit sooner than they yep. did. I, I was amazed that they they used as much time as they did. And props to the defense for for allowing that and keeping you know everything in front of them or in bounds or and because it it had that feeling like they were going to score. And it was going to be on Utah's offense to 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 get a couple first downs because they at that time they I mean they had all when they were driving they had all three timeouts I'm like wow this is setting up to be to be one of those types of games that's going to really that you're going to be I mean you fans that have been on their seats being like oh just get a stop um, and 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 I know you, you shouted them out earlier hands but props to, props to that secondary because. And you saw you saw some mistakes from like uh, Julian Blackman um, earlier in the game where they where they went up fourteen zero and and for them to bounce back the way they did, I mean I thought their confidence was going to start was was getting tested a little bit there. So like oh man, you saw Julian Blackman I think get tripped up or crossed up or whatever on on one of those scores, and and props to them for for bouncing back and and playing the way they did the rest of that whole rest of the game. No, those guys were those guys were unbelievable. Yeah, and I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the bounce back performances because th- there were some guys that really came around. And Scotty, I can't remember if you and I were just chatting or if it was like part of a pregame or something. But Utah started out with a different lineup. Oh yeah, offensive line. line. Yep. And quickly had to make a, a change. Went back to their old offensive line setup. They actually put Nick Ford back out of tackle and brought in Johnny Maya. And the, the guys are just, they were just getting beat all over the field trying to set on the outside. Washington ends were beating them bad. And uh, they, like I talked about, Andy Ludwig's play calling gave them some confidence and they rebounded. But I'm just looking back at some of this. Johnny Maya gave up a big sack. Um, Dar- even Darren Paulo gave up big pressure. Um, I'm looking at Nick Ford gave up a sack and it was really hard, difficult, uh, really difficult for Tyler Huntley to get anything off. So then they made the adjustments and they responded well. The other thing I wanted to mention, Terrell Burgess had a, a, a spectacular game. Utah was putting seven and eight guys in the box at all times. They didn't want to let Washington run. 
and they were really packing it in against the, the H-backs and tight ends. And, and Trail Burgess came up on multiple big plays, had some TFLs, and, and so I wanted to call him out because he was awesome. And then Francis Bernard was causing problems in the blitzing scheme and did some great things. And this, this team deserved that win. They earned it. That's a difficult place to go in and play and get a win. I don't care what anybody says. I played there twice. I'm 0-2 in that stadium. And we were a better team than them one of the years we played. And we just couldn't, can't get the win in there. It was, it's, it's difficult to win in Seattle. And this Utah team fought through adversity, fought through injury, fought through a deficit, and got a big win. That's championship-level football, in my opinion. Yeah. Fought, fought through uh, not getting the two-point conversion when they should have gotten it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how, is there, how is there not a view on the goal line in 2019? How is that possible? I'm just curious. It didn't end up tossing them, but there was, there was a chance that that thing, I mean, if they were to get that score, at least you're cut your front fine and know you have a, a seven point lead. But instead they had a five point lead. I mean, that was, for, from every viewpoint, you're like, okay, that's in. You just could, didn't have a view to show you the ball was past that class of past the plane. Yeah. Um, I don't know that, that you don't have that. Well, yeah, I don't know. You go big picture now. You got uh, a one-game lead over USC, um, and now you play the soft part of your schedule with UCLA at Arizona and Colorado to finish up this gauntlet. And I agreed, and I you know I still agreed with Frank Dolce when he said it. This three-game stretch that Utah played Arizona State, Cal, and Washington. You know, Frank three weeks ago called it the gauntlet for Utah. And we wondered what Utah's record would be out of those three. Now, we thought Cal Cal was playing much better than what they have. Uh, but Utah not only wins, but they win with a total score of 89-31 to 31 in those three games and just dominated all three of these teams outside of maybe Washington. Um, and so now it lightens up. UCLA at home, Arizona on the road, who lost to Oregon State, got blown out by Oregon, Oregon State yesterday. And then the... Um, and then the, um, you know, whatever rivalry nonsense you want to push on the Colorado game, but to wrap up the season. So, I mean, it sets up beautifully for the University of Utah going forward. Yeah, and if USC can make a run and go unbeaten from here on out, and Oregon can stay unbeaten into that Pac-12 championship, uh, a, a one-loss, an 11-1 Utah team, or uh, that 12-1 at that point, yeah. Utah team is... 100% I believe in the conversation and it, as long as they're continuing to dominate defensively holding teams down and, and doing what they're doing they'll be in the conversation there isn't a person that could sit in that that selection room what is it a 12 person committee Scotty? I believe so yeah there's not a person that could sit in there and truly argue that Utah doesn't deserve an opportunity to come out and show what they do defensively. Again, USC's got to finish strong after that loss to Oregon. Uh, I'd love to see USC just really put some heat on and and I'd love to see Oregon stay un- unbeaten and put up some big scores so that that'll be a big win in the Pac-12 championship. But I can't imagine somebody keeping uh, a Kyle Whittingham defense out and somebody in that meeting room needs to lean over and say, hey, you know, the last time Kyle played Nick Saban, uh, he beat him. 
Like, that's one of the few losses Nick Saban's got in postseason play. What would you say about a Utah-Alabama matchup? You know, I, I, I'm hoping people bring up some of those key moments. Hey, they did bust the BCS a couple of times. Uh, maybe Kyle Whittingham knows how to prepare for these big moments. And, and I, I just want them to get a shot. If, if they can stay focused and finish out the season on blemish, they deserve a shot at yep. that 14 college football playoff. Yep. Especially, especially if that Utah defense uh, in the Pac-12 title game shuts down that Oregon offense. I mean, that would be uh, that'd be a, definitely a, a, a feather in the cap. Yeah, if they, um, if they something like that. You bring up a good point. If they run the table, USC plays. <clears throat> excuse me, USC plays well the rest of the way, and they dominate Oregon. Um, then, yeah, this is at that point. I think it's a team that's not even in the conversation. I think it's a team that needs to be in the playoff. Honestly, yeah. Well, last time I looked at Oregon too, Lloyd. Oregon's top. 15 ranked defense last time. Right. Yep. Right. All right. Let's, uh, let's shift gears and talk about, uh, an old fashioned beatdown. BYU goes to Logan and wins 42, 14. Uh, I had the call of the game hands. You were up there doing pre and post and you and I talked a little bit afterwards on the post game show. Utah state rank racks up 521 yards of total offense, but BYU was 639, even making a quarterback change at halftime. And somehow, got better even yeah. at Jaron Hall was great in the first half. And then uh, Baylor Romney comes in and they're better in the second half with Baylor yeah. Romney. He throws two touchdowns and uh, BYU takes a 21, 14 halftime lead, throws three more touchdowns on the board and wins 42, 14. There are significant changes since the South Florida game. Yeah. I think the Toledo loss, I think it was kind of like, well, you beat USC Washington, you were expected to lose. Toledo caught you off guard, and it's like, oh, man, well, let's give this coaching staff that beat USC another chance. Well, South Florida was bad. It was ugly. It was embarrassing. And after that game, back-to-back losses, I think that there were some meetings, and they and guys looked at each other and said, how big's your ego? Are you able to take a step back? Can I interject more? Is it... And I think that this staff came together. I think Kalani Satake took a lot of ownership of the defense. I think that there was more collaboration in the offensive play calling area. They put Grimes down on the field, Roderick up in the booth. I think Fessy Satake's had some influence. Uh, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I definitely feel Aaron Roderick's influence in play calling. You know, you, you see a lot of those throwback reverses and passes downfield and you see the quick hits past the 50-yard line. Anytime they're past the 50-yard line, they're taking shots downfield. That's old school Aaron Roderick when he was the offensive coordinator at the University of Utah. So I see so many influences that tell me that that not only has some of the staffing changed and, and some of the positional responsibilities, but some of the play calling duties because what we've seen the last couple of games, Boise State, Utah State, could not look more different than what we saw against South Florida and Toledo. And that tells me that this staff has put it in gear. And, and it also tells me I, I've got a feeling that BYU makes a run for San Diego State and yeah. has a really good chance to win throughout. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I, I look at this, Lloyd, and, uh, you know, we're, you, 
look, BYU's two and four facing two teams that had beaten them uh, the year before in Boise State and Utah State. And uh, and they end up winning both of those games. And now they've got Liberty, Idaho State, UMass. That's going to be a 3-0 and stretch for BYU. And then they've got San Diego State, who right now is nationally ranked. And they've got a really good defense, not a particularly good offense. But they're going bare minimum 7-5 and five and a really, really good chance of going 8-4. and four. Well, those that was, uh, I mean, to, to get a win against Boise State, and then to get a win against Utah, uh, win against Utah State is 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 phenomenal, uh, and it's something. I mean, before the, when this season started, heck, a couple games into the season, we're we're thinking Utah State is going was going to dominate BYU. Jordan Jordan Love, the, the guy. I mean, you got to give give it to also to BYU's defense. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. BYU apparently rushing three and dropping eight works really well against Utah State and USC. Um, Jordan, like you, Jordan Love, kept like he was making some big time throws, and he would get he would get he would get in these rhythms. You're like, oh wow, okay, they're going, they're going, and then they would drop drop those linebackers, and then interception. Every time he got a little bit of momentum going, like you're thinking, okay, they're here they go, they're they're gonna you know they're probably gonna pull this within you know. 14 or something like that. They're going to get probably get back in this. He kept getting good rhythms and he looked like it. Like, I mean, there's some drives where you're like, okay, this is a Jordan love that I, that I remember from last year. This is this. Maybe he's getting a little bit of that swag back. He looked like he had some confidence at times. And then they, they dropped that linebacker interception and all that confidence that he did have or whatever. It just seemed to kind of just to just go away. Um, I mean, that defense, that defense bought some real estate up in Jordan Love's head, head last night. I mean, they they were unbelievable. Stop it. Um, I uh, I think that uh, yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I agree with that, and I think that uh, that I was I didn't have many concerns about Utah State being able to go from the twenty to the twenty. Uh, what I did have concerns with is Utah State being able to score touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, and uh, and and not turn the ball over. And they turned the ball over. They had a couple empty possessions in the red zone. Um, you know, for for a team that has over 500 yards of total offense and 14 points, it's not good. And that's that's been kind of the mo of Utah State this year: uh, inability to score points when they need to, and inability, not, you know, and and uh, a tendency to turn the ball over. But it's all about BYU. I mean, I thought. I thought Utah State had a ton of momentum hands going into halftime. Down 21-7, they scored that late touchdown. It was a great drive. They had two big third-down conversions on that drive. Uh, the pace was working. And I thought, if BYU goes three and out, Utah State gets the ball back, then this could be a really, really interesting game going into the second half. Well, not only does BYU not go three and out, they never, they never even get to second down outside of one drive or one play on that drive. It was, it was ten yards or more on every single play to start the third quarter. They get a touchdown. They're up twenty-eight fourteen. At that point, you know BYU's winning that game. Yeah, and that was primarily up front. Yes. Yep. In I I I really am going to go back and do some film review on this game because watching Seattle Paga had come back and he was playing at the guard position 
they left the true freshman Blake Freeland on the outside. James, he's been consistent. Brady Christensen, they've been consistent all year. That, that never changes. And that offensive line just moved guys and and really limited production from some guys that I've got a lot of respect for. You know, I got a lot of respect for Tipa's speed rush, and Tipa could not get off that freshman. He couldn't get off the angle. He just kept getting in the angle, and he'd get a hand on him, and Tipa needs to gain some weight and strength because there was nothing he could do at times when the freshman or when he would flip over to Brady's side because Tipa, I saw he would rotate sides, just couldn't get anything going. And then in the run game, without David Woodward out on the field, there were just gaping holes. Or when the pass game broke down, whether it was Jaron Hall or Baylor Romney, there were gaping holes, and those guys could run for first downs. And you could see the impact of not having David Woodward out there was was massive. But you could also see that that offense was aware within what the, probably the first couple of plays, seeing that there's no David Woodward, or if they had any indication that that was going to be the case, they were taking off and hitting those gaps, and they were really taking advantage of it. So, as uh, as you just mentioned, David Woodward, who I think is a tremendous linebacker, and I think one of the best linebackers in the state, if not the country, second leading tackler in the country, um, out for the rest of his year, out for the rest of the season, dealing with concussion issues. He had a really nasty concussion in fall camp. Uh, where he sat out most of camp, uh, suffered another one. And I think you're at a point now with the amount of concussions that not only is that young man considering, uh, well, he is, Gary Anderson announced he's out for the season, but I'm sure there's probably some people close to him that are wondering, and he himself have to consider, is it is it, it for a career? Um, because, you know, once you rack up multiple, multiple severe concussions like he has, then you have to evaluate your quality of life going forward and, so there's there's going to be some hard decisions to make by David Woodward and his family, and and you can't. I mean, you just hope nothing but the best for him because he's got some tough decisions to make. Well, there were some sources that were talking about Jaron Hall going down with a concussion in that game. Obviously, didn't come back in the second half. And Scotty, if that's the case, he might be having the same discussion. Yeah. Yep. And they they might have to shut the season down on him, and then they've got to talk about it because. When he got that whiplash concussion and went out against Toledo, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it Toledo where he went out yep. with that concussion? Yep. So you're looking at two concussions in four weeks, and I didn't even see the hit that he took against Utah State, but the whiplash concussion wasn't that big a hit. So you got to go back and try to figure this out. Uh, with Jaron as well as David can really take long-term health into consideration and see if this is the right thing for you. Yeah. It looked, it looked like Jaron got hit on that, uh, that run that he had where he scored kind of towards the end of the half. He, it was blocked a little bit by, by, uh, by some, uh, by another player that you couldn't really quite see, um, how, how bad so, it was. Was that the last play of his, Lloyd? I, I think it was. I believe it was because I have not that, 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 score, that, that score was towards the end. Um, yeah, you have to. You can tell. Like 
like either him or the defender got whipped around. It was kind of a weird looking play, but you couldn't see exactly the contact with the helmet that happened there. And I'm pretty sure that was his, uh, that was his last play. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, you know, in terms of Utah state, I think that, uh, they're in a situation now where, uh, they look at the schedule and then it's, it's a question mark, not just of, uh, of, of the rest of the season. It's a, it's a question mark of bull eligibility now. I mean, a team that we thought might be an 8-9 win team this year, they're going to have to fight for six because you got Wyoming, who's bull eligible already. They've had a really good year. You got Boise State, who, you know, obviously is a, always seems to play what Utah State really well. And then you got uh, Fresno coming up next week, who just got a nice win against uh, Hawaii on the island. And then uh, you wrap up the game against New, or the season against New Mexico. They'll beat New Mexico to end the season, but they've got to find a way to get one more win. And I don't know; they'll be they might be favored against New uh, against Fresno next week, but other than that, they're not going to be favored the rest of the way outside of that New Mexico game. And and now Gary Anderson's got to find a way to get six because his team is is playing poorly right now. They're getting uh, dominated the last two weeks in the trenches, and they've got a lot of work to do. First things first, man, I go into the meeting room offensively and I say, guys, are we just hurrying to hurry? Yeah. What advantages are we getting at this pace? There were a couple last night against BYU. I talked about that in the post game with you, Scotty. You know, you saw some fatigue and they caught a personnel grouping and there are things that you can catch them in different coverages and try to get them to make mental errors out of fatigue or hurry. And, but I don't know if you're getting the benefits that you could get with a pro-style quarterback in Jordan Love. It looked like, Where, by the way, real quick, Hans, it looked like the speed of of what Utah State was doing only got him, really only got him like one touchdown. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just didn't ever feel like – and you talked about it, Scotty, moving from 20 to 20, maybe you can use that speed and that hurry up. But man, you get in that red zone – even at the 20, inside 18, 15, just take some time. Get it right. You know, make, make sure that Jordan Love is on the same page, that receivers are able to break routes, especially when you start to get an understanding of what BYU was doing defensively with their drop eights and their slow it down and keep it in front of you. And see, if, the, other, the other thing that I couldn't believe is that they couldn't establish a consistent power game. Yeah. And why they kept going away from it. You know, the, the touchdown that they scored, they caught the personnel group they wanted, and then they went three, I think it was three straight power runs right up the middle, and Bright eventually got into the end zone. I think actually that the touchdown was off an RPO, if I remember right, or a zone read. But I don't like this pace that they're on. I, I feel like it's unnecessary. And I feel like there are capabilities on the field you could better maximize by slowing it down and allowing them to understand the play and just go out and execute. Yeah. Yep. Well, a lot of, uh, <clears throat> certainly a lot of big question marks up there. It's, as uh, Utah State is reeling, BYU is surging, and uh, Utah is in uh, complete control of their uh, Pac 12 fate uh, going forward. And uh, now, right now, there's, there's not just Rose Bowl in the eyes of the University of Utah. They may be even looking at something bigger because the Utes are just flat out dominating at this point. So there we go. Another edition of the uh, 
of the morning after podcast. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I've got a couple. How's our how's our sound sounding, Scotty? Am, am I choppy? You're choppy on my end. Am I okay? Uh, yeah, no, you sound fine. Yeah, okay. I think Scott, Scotty's a little choppy. Well, but you're fine. Um, the good thing is, I'm. Things. Yeah, good thing is I'm recording it here, so I think we'll be okay. Okay. Well, a, a couple of things. Number one, I did want to point out Aaron Roberts, his ability to have three quarterbacks ready to play at such a high level. All three quarterbacks, as they've been on the field, have done their jobs. They've executed. And uh, I'm really impressed with the quarterback's preparation. Baylor came out, and as you pointed out, Scotty, there was no decline. He just came out. He was ready, made the reads, made the throws, and agreed good. You can credit Baylor, but I, I certainly do want to say that this quarterback's coach and passing coordinator had those guys ready. And then the other thing, boys, get your popcorn. Because Utah Jazz Clippers tonight is going to be spectacular. Uh, I'm gonna. By, by the way, I don't think we mentioned it this entire podcast, but I'll just go ahead and do it, and we can we can bring it up Monday. Get that get Kalani a contract extension. Let's do this. <laughs> well, let's 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 do it. Let's just let's get this done, and uh, let's move on, and let's 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 start preparing for the rest of the season. And and the future of in the future of BYU, I think he's I think he's done enough. I think he I think he has. I agree. I, mean, I understand there's some there's some losses in there that you're, they're a little head scratching, but the guy has gotten his team to show up in some of the biggest games. So come on, come let's, on, let's get it done. Come on, come on. All right, gentlemen. I we will do this again tomorrow at noon. Uh, show kicks off at noon. A lot to break down. You'll hear from. Uh, Kalani Sataki, as well as um, as uh, Kyle Whittingham. Uh, so make sure to join us coming up tomorrow at noon. And Scotty Lloyd, this is the Morning After podcast right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.